0: Hello, hello, and welcome to the show. You're listening to the WE Podcast, and I'm your host, Sarah Moneris. I believe that we all need a space to speak our authentic truth, as well as a space to hear the truths of real and vulnerable people, so that we can better understand that we are not alone. Hearing the experiences of others encourages us to step into the light in our own lives. It is through owning our stories and learning to speak our truth that we are able to grow and rise above the challenges we face and step into the full power of all we were created to be. You will hear many topics discussed in this space with people from all over the world. We hope that you feel welcomed into a community of growth and that this space will invite you to uncover the absolute greatness that is already inside of you. Oh, and don't forget, check out all the We Podcast episodes as well as the Spot blog over at thewespot.com. Are you ready? Let's dive in. it's me. You're listening to episode number 80, White Privilege, Systemic and Institutional Racism and Implicit Bias. What do they mean and how can we do better? In this episode, I got to chat with Dr. Becky Brokhammer. Becky is the founder of Be Whatever Sunshine, which was created in 2018. The mission of Be Whatever Sunshine is deeply set in developing relationships motivated to create and design spaces, both literally and figuratively. Becky earned a bachelor's degree in interior design from Washington State University. Her master's degree is from the University of Northern Colorado in educational leadership, and her PhD is in student affairs leadership. Becky worked in higher education for 15 years. She served a variety of roles, which were teaching, mentoring, leading, and serving students and colleagues in student life, career services, student access, and equality compliance. During her time in higher education, she taught and trained students, staff, and faculty On topics including impartial bias, privilege, equality, and bystander engagement. She was an administrator and adjunct faculty member at the University of Northern Colorado. Becky is very, very knowledgeable on all of these topics. And this episode is packed with knowledge and so many nuggets of wisdom. This wisdom will no doubt help us all to be more informed so that we can better increase our awareness and work together to fight racism. I can't wait for you to hear this. So here we go. Here's my interview with Dr. Brokehammer. Welcome to this episode of the Wee Podcast. I am really excited today to be able to come to you with a conversation with the amazing Becky Broghammer, And I just think that what we're chatting about today is so timely. It's so necessary and hopefully so helpful for the people who are listening. So thank you so much, Becky, for being here
1: thanks for the invitation. I'm super excited to to join in this conversation and and help people have this conversation.
0: Yeah. Awesome. So today we're going to talk about white privilege and I think a lot of the other things that come along with that. Before we dive into that, I'd love for you just to tell our listeners a bit about your experience in this area, where your knowledge comes from, that type of thing. Absolutely. So I worked in higher education for about 15 years and did work for my
1: master's and my PhD, both in educational leadership and have worked as an administrator and educator faculty um, in teaching others and training others on impartial bias, privileges, what implicit bias is, how to coexist with others that we don't always agree with. I worked as an investigator in discrimination and sexual misconduct, and have taught, trained, and had conversations about privilege and equity and all of these things specifically for the last three years. And so that's, that's I've been in the classroom and in front of students, staff, and faculty many times having these conversations.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you're a great person for us to talk with. I, I appreciate you. your knowledge in this area. And I'm going to be honest. For me, I I learned about white privilege for the first time in college, in my master's program, not an undergrad, I don't think. Uh, it was a completely and totally new concept to me, and so going to school to be a therapist, obviously, we needed we needed to know about white privilege and how that affects obviously our relationship with our clients, if they are of a different race than us. And so during grad school, we, I really dive dove into this, but not to date myself, it's been a long time since I yeah. <laughs> have been in grad <laughs> school. And I, it's really got me thinking how much my white privilege has come to play in not keeping up with mm-hmm. this education, like not keeping up with you know remembering all of these things, letting it go to the wayside, and gosh, how terrible I feel about that i I need to be better, we all need to be better about constantly keeping this on our radar but i I think what 's happening for me right now and what i 'm seeing happen in a lot of ways with a lot of people is there's just a lot of confusion because I think a lot of people are hearing these things for the very first time and they're confused as to what exactly this even means.
1: Absolutely. And I'll be honest, I didn't know what white privilege was until my master's program either. And I think about that was an awakening in a really difficult time. And I have had privilege in not having to revisit that until I started to do more of the work and then the training, and my family has recently moved. I am not working in higher education at this moment, and I have had the convenience and privilege to not think or worry about this until it presented itself and said, no, you have, you have a duty and an obligation to, to do better. And, and to keep talking about this. So I completely understand and, and empathize with that introduction at the, at the time where we are introduced in higher education. That's, that's a place a lot of people get introduced. And if you're not in higher education and you're not um, experiencing those courses, mm-hmm. the introduction is, is in times like these on social media, uh, in between conversations with people who do and who don't necessarily know a lot about it. And so that confusion is so real and it's hard. It is something we have been taught not to talk about. And when we do talk about it brings discomfort and shame and fear and confusion just because of the topic that we have so easily been able to push from us with white privilege. Mm -hmm. Um, Those of us have it can easily push that aside and choose not to look at it or not to talk about it. So yes, the confusion is real and out there and present. And my hope is that in having conversations and putting more information out there, I think that what has been wonderful in the last few weeks or the last week, gosh, it's been a week. What's been out there is the availability of resources for people to see is at their fingertips. Now they need to do their due diligence and where that information is coming from. And that's mm-hmm. difficult because like you said, the confusion is real, but there's at least information out there that can start the conversations. And it is, it's important for people who have been in positions like myself to teach and to talk about this, to step up and offer space for yeah. individuals to talk about this.
0: Uh, yeah. Yeah, because it even has me thinking like the knowledge of white privilege is like talking about how that's only available in education or higher education, which is also a privileged place yeah. to be. So, Huge
1: privilege there. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: uh huh. Talk, yes. talk, talk about systemic racism,
1: right? <laughs> that's the basis of all of this. But even that's higher education and access to higher education is mm-hmm. built on white privilege.
0: Yeah. So I want to talk more about what these words actually mean, because I think that there's right. a lot of people we are hearing the words, but don't really know exactly what the words mean. So I really just want to break that down before we get into a conversation, because I have dug into a lot of the resources, podcasts, things that are out there, and they use the words but they don't explain what they mean. Let's start with white privilege. Do you feel like that's a good place to start or? I think, no, I think that's probably the best way to start because
1: we'll start to talk about other things and then we could kind of explain those as we go. So white privilege, white privilege is the unearned privilege that white people have to live their lives every day. And I think that one of the best ways to describe what white privilege is, is to say that what it is not, right? White privilege does not mean white people don't have struggles and don't have hardships. And it doesn't mean that they are privileged in every aspect of their lives. I think it's important to remember people have privileges and and oppressive identities all across the board. It doesn't matter how you racially identify. There are privileges and uh, uh, marginalized identities that every human holds. White privilege is just the one that we get as white people. That's just unseen and given freely. And it means that we can move through life without our skin color making it harder. And that's not a you know Webster dictionary type of definition, but, a, but a, more of an explanation in the real world of it's not something that you have to be shameful of. It's not something to be embarrassed about. It just is what it is. That is why it's unearned. We are given it by being born as a white person. Mm -hmm. We did nothing else. So I hope that gives at least a base knowledge of what white privilege is. Is there anything else that you need to explain?
0: Well, I guess maybe I I want to zone in a little bit more on what you're saying about what it's not. Because I think people get hung up on, well, I'm white, but I... I have this struggle or I have that struggle. I'm not privileged. I'm not, you know, above anybody else. That's something I hear a lot too. Yes. I don't see myself as above anyone else. So there's all these arguments for it. And I, I believe that those things do come from shame. They come from mm-hmm. fear. They come from indoctrination of beliefs, you know, growing up. And and it's hard to challenge those beliefs. It's hard. It's scary. It's all of those things. And so what would you say to those people who are in this process of even realizing that they have white privilege and struggling with that?
1: I think to to tell them white privilege is something that you had no control over receiving. You do not need to feel guilty that you have it or shamed that you have it. I think that comes from the fact that we only talk about white privilege when we're talking about race and that means racism and I'm not a racist. And so that defense mechanism is the first thing so many people jump to of, but I'm not racist. I don't have white privilege. Having white privilege doesn't mean you're racist. Mm -hmm. They're they're, they're not, they're, you know, they are independent of one another.
0: So you can be Anti-racist. I'm hearing this now. You know, anti-racist versus not racist, and what that means. And and so you can be anti-racist and have white privilege. Absolutely, absolutely. And I think
1: where where that kind of turn and shift happens is when you become aware of white privilege and understand what that means, and you don't do anything to combat the opportunities you have to not use your privilege to advantage yourself and hold others down. Mm -hmm. So that turning point is, you know, having white privilege is not something to be shameful or um, ashamed about, but it's what you do with that white privilege. And when you decide to either lean into it and, and use it for good, or turn your back on it and ignore it, where you start to have that conversation of, maybe you should be double thinking about what you're doing and why you're doing it and how easy it is to turn away. That's, that's where you can actually start having those conversations about whether or not you should feel good or bad about white privilege.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, for me, I think about it. It's, I, I have a very unique experience in, in seeing white privilege play out in my own personal life because I, I was raised in an environment growing up that I know was racist. I know that there were definitely lots of messages I was given about other, about minorities, about black people specifically growing up. And I remember feeling when I was little, like this isn't right. And it's hard to buck the system when you're little. Yeah. So, I grew up then, and i i 've always been a rebel in my family, <laughs> <laughs> and started to really dig into thinking differently. but then I had a personal experience come into my life that completely it changed everything, and I had my daughter who 's half black, and so mm-hmm. seeing. And understanding as a white person, giving birth to her and knowing from the moment she's born that I have to protect her in Mm -hmm. that way because she would never have the same experience that I had. And, And from birth, having people come up to me and ask me questions about her race and who's her dad and she doesn't look anything like you how can she be yours so so much from literally her birth and that is such a example of how at birth things are drastically different for both of us neither of us did anything right nope. we were just born and right. It's, it's given to us. It's handed to us from the moment we come into this world. Right. And the education that you have to
1: begin with your daughter in things are never going to be equal for you. And there are people who will never give you the information and the opportunities based on the color of your skin. And that's different. Than the conversation I have to have with my children who are white, I don't have to tell my boys or my daughter that, that those things exist in the world if I don't want to, mm-hmm. because they aren't going to be the ones that are at the receiving end of hatred and racism. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: and that's white privilege. I don't have to have those conversations. I don't have to lay my head down at night worried about the safety and security of my children because of their skin color, that's white privilege.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, I
1: don't have to worry and teach. You know, my kids are driving and, and learning how to drive. I don't have to teach them how to conduct themselves when they may get pulled over by a police officer, where they must leave their hands. How how to intently listen to every detail a police officer officer maybe says. It's just different, and and that's all white privilege. You know, it doesn't it doesn't mean I believe white people are better than when I say that I have white privilege, it doesn't mean that it doesn't mean that I think my kids should be put first or or not have to have those conversations. It means I have the choice to teach and, and and tell them about these things or not. Mm-hmm. And, and those are hard conversations to have with your kids. You know, you never want your kids to, you want everything that is wonderful to happen to and all, all the greatest opportunities to happen for your children. Mm-hmm. And, um, I don't have to have the same conversations people of color have to have with their kids. Mm-hmm. That's, that's not fair,
0: mm-hmm.
1: right? That's not mm-hmm. equitable. That's white privilege.
0: Yeah. Well, hopefully that's helpful and people understanding kind of what, what that looks like, what it means exactly. And I think the important thing is once you have the awareness, like we need to gather this awareness. We need to have it so that we can then do things differently. We can understand what it looks like so that we can make the choice of what to do with it. Do we stay in it and pretend like we don't know? I think that's Mm -hmm. probably my biggest regret, maybe my biggest, um, the, the, the biggest way that I have exercised my white privilege is by avoidance for Mm -hmm. sure. And, Mm -hmm. you know, saying things like all colors matter, you know what I mean? Yeah, I do. All of the same and, and totally, totally closing myself off from the reality of what's happening for a lot of people and, and being in my bubble and just not wanting to deal with it. Uh, Wanting to try and bubble my daughter even and and not wanting her to deal with it. What do you, what are your thoughts about that? Well, and, and that's
1: so true. And it's what we, what's easy to do, especially with white privilege. Right. And I think that one of the things that needs to happen is there has to be space individuals who are learning about white privilege to be given the opportunity to go through the process it takes to learn before they are absolutely thrown into, now do something. Hmm. I think, um, and and what I mean by that is I, re- I can still remember sitting in the classroom after reading uh, Peggy, I think it's Peggy McIntosh, but she wrote White Privilege and Unpacking the Knapsack. And it is a It was written in 1989, and it is one of the greatest introductions to white privilege that was written and is still used today in the classroom. But I remember sitting there and thinking all of these horrible things about myself. Mm. And then it became about my parents and about where I was raised and what schools I went to and all of the shame and guilt. And that started to be all I felt. And in the classroom in particular, it was hard to have some... it, It was the place that we had the conversations, and it was a place that was filled with students who were black, who were brown, who um, were international students. It was not a place that I felt as a white woman, I could take up a ton of space with my own shame and my own guilt. Mm -hmm. And I was given the opportunity to have some of that. And I think it was so important for me to have an opportunity outside of the classroom to talk to people who were also white who understood the shame and the guilt, because I needed to process that before I could move forward. Mm-hmm. And and I think that that is something that is hard. And that's where white fragility comes in. That's another term that we've heard a lot about. And basically what that means is white fragility is the fragility of white people's feelings at the expense of being educated about white privilege and racism and the existence of of white privilege in this world. White fragility is when it gets to the point where feelings of your feelings are hurt or you feel the shame and disgrace and all of those things. If that's where you stop, you're in trouble.
0: Mm.
1: And and hurting white people is not the outcome of education on racism and white white privilege, but it is something that happens that I think needs to be addressed at some level but can't take up the space in the larger conversation of racism, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And this is where a lot of conversation comes in about, it is not the people of color's job to teach white people about racism, about Mm -hmm. the experiences of black people, about the experiences of brown people. It is not the job of those individuals to help white people understand how to do better. But I think it is so important for white individuals to have the space to go through the process of understanding white privilege in a way that allows them to be productive. And so I think that's important. I think that in order for us to to move forward and do things, we need to have the feelings that we get hit with immediately when somebody calls us privileged. I think those are important and I think they need to be talked about and addressed, but I also think we need to stop and get over them
0: and keep learning and push past that. So you said if that's where they stop, it's, it's not going to be good. Why is that? If people stop in that place, I think for a lot of reasons, that's where a
1: lot of people stop because it becomes uncomfortable and that's where people start to deny the existence of the privilege Mm -hmm. and the defense mechanisms start to be built. And I think that's where you get the, but I wasn't privileged. My life wasn't easy. I don't have that. I think that is born out of this kind of accusation
0: of it. Do you think this is the response of all lives matter fits in too? I think part of it, absolutely. And I think, again, I think if we if we
1: do what we're supposed to do in growing and learning and being educated, we need to shut up and we need to continue to listen. And that's, that's what's so hard about, you know, interactions on Facebook and social media. It's no, 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 no. Just shut your mouth. And listen to what this is, is telling you. And listen to it so that it hits you at your core. Mm-hmm. Don't just keep scrolling. Yeah, But we don't stop and listen. Right. And, you know, the reaction is is that fear. The defensiveness, the, the fear. Yeah. And I think if you stay and you sit there, you
0: stop learning. Yeah. I still go to a place of shame. Like I mm-hmm. still go to a place of oh my gosh, like I can't believe I haven't kept up on my learning for this. I can't believe mm-hmm. I have allowed myself to put this on the back burner. All of those things that they go back to shame for me and feeling bad. And it is so important to not stay there. To me, and I think
1: it's okay to acknowledge it. I, and I screw up all the time mm-hmm. on doing this work. I just a week ago, messaged one of my dearest, dearest friends who was a college student who came into uh, my, my family's life, my goodness, I don't even want to say it, maybe 20 years ago, who is a Black woman who I had not reached out to, to check in on. How dare I, you know, not make sure she's okay mm. in, in, in the experiences that she's been having this last week and noting online, like I see her hurting but I didn't do my job. And I felt shame in, why didn't you reach out? Because I still had the fear and the worry that what if I do or say the wrong thing?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And, I, and I make her think I am trying to make it better for her as a white woman, the white woman coming in to help her. And it, then I thought, no, I need to just tell her, hey, I love you. I'm thinking about you and I'm here for you. That's all it was. Mm-hmm. Um, but I did. I still feel shame. I could do more and I could do better, but if you stay there and you don't jump over and say, okay, that just means I know I need to do better, you right. know, then go, go do better, go do different.
0: Right. Because staying there, shame makes you defensive. It makes you oh yeah unapproachable. It makes you close down to learning. Shame is the ultimate, barrier to so many things of you know moving forward differently
1: if, if that's where we stay absolutely and it's so destructive I think that that's the hard part of, of, of social media right now is that we're not given the opportunity to ask questions because as soon as that shame hits I think the fear comes in and you're like oh well I don't want to do or say anything that might offend somebody so I'm just not going to say anything and I'll try to go learn on my own which is so important And I think needs conversation and needs discussion Mm -hmm. um, and needs processing. This is not easy stuff to read or learn about.
0: Which will give more information too. And I love you're going to be offering a course on white privilege because I think that it is, there's such a different level of learning when you read a book versus being able to have real conversation with people and hey, this is how I'm responding. This is how I feel. Help me work through this is mm-hmm. so much more powerful. And yes, we need to go out. We need to read books. We need to gra- gather that information and having a space where you can talk through that is so, it's, it's like next level, I yes. guess is how I see it.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think it's important for the white individuals that have are having these are reading or doing the bod- podcast are trying to learn and educate themselves more. I think it's important that those who are doing that work start joining other people, even informally, just to have the conversations. I, there's a group of women that I we have a Facebook group of of moms, and it's not a big group, but it's a space that we've decided will be used to Talk about some books that we're reading because Mm -hmm. it's all heavy stuff that's sitting on us um, as we read through it. But we need to, it's a book club that is more meaningful than, you know, the number one book that came out that's, you know, maybe a little bit more frou-frou than than Mm -hmm. white privilege. (laughs) But but using those spaces to have the conversations. I heard last night a woman who had a conversation with a friend and they decided they're going to read a book and talk through it together. Awesome. Yeah. Right. Those are the things we've got to do
0: um to make to take it next level. Totally. So all right, I'm gonna switch gears a little bit because sure. I want to know kind of what you think about the people who are saying in response to yes. Black Lives Matter that All lives matter, or um, you know, those types of responses that are coming in. What are your thoughts about that?
1: Well, my first reaction is, wow, somebody that I get to help understand what Black Lives Matter, right? Like this is an opportunity. I, I have been looking at these as really great opportunities to have a conversation, because when you say Black Lives Matter, it means all lives matter. But what it is emphasizing is that for so many. The all lives don't include Black people. Mm -hmm. All lives matter. Absolutely. Nobody who says Black lives matter doesn't believe that all lives matter. What they're saying is, yes, but we are under attack as Black people in these ways. And so in order for us to get to a place where in this world we could chant and, and be excited that all lives matter, we have to acknowledge that Black lives matter too. And I heard, you know, I've I've seen a lot of comparisons and analogies. and, And one that I saw was, you know, if you're sitting at dinner and everybody gets a plate of food except one person, their plate matters too. Them wanting and needing that plate of food does not negate that everybody else should have food at the table. It just means they don't have food, so we need to address that they don't have food first Mm -hmm. before we can acknowledge that everybody should have it. And I think that analogy, it just, I think when we start to do these analogies in such obvious ways where we're Mm -hmm. talking about, if you're sitting at a dinner table and you have a, you don't have a plate and everybody has a plate of food, you would never say that person doesn't deserve a plate of food and it doesn't negate that everybody else should have one as well. Well, that's what black lives matters is black lives matter. And until we can acknowledge that there are places where they don't, and that there is work that needs to be done in the community of Black lives, we totally are undermining that all lives matter. And I think that that's hard for people to see and to understand. But, but again, that's, that's privileged talking. You know, I've never had to worry that my life wasn't valued and important to the people that I come into contact with.
0: Yeah, you've never wor- had to worry. I've never had to worry about not getting a plate at the table. We go nope. to the table and we know our plate's going to be there. Absolutely, that's that's the privilege that we feel. And and by saying and understanding and embracing Black Lives Matter, it's saying these people need a plate. Like it shouldn't mm-hmm. be this way that they go to the table and and they don't have one. And so. I think this is using our privilege in a way that's positive and that will help make change. That's yeah. one thing. I don't mean to change the subject, but you know, I go off on <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's nothing one wrong thing with that and I'd love to hear what you think about this. I I feel like in some of the conversations that I've had with people, because if, People are struggling right now. There Mm -hmm. are a lot of people who are beside themselves about what's going on, which in my opinion is a beautiful thing because for a long time, the only people who were beside themselves were the black community. Mm -hmm. And now for the first time in my life, I feel like people who are not in the black community are standing up and saying, in, in a very loud way, that this is not okay, which I, I am mean, It's beautiful. I agree with you. That's what needs to happen. That's how mm-hmm. we use our privilege in a way that is truly helpful, not by being silent and acting like it. it's not happening. Absolutely. And I think I agree with you. And for anyone
1: who's looked at white privilege, it was obvious that the institutions that have been created and the systems that Have been put into place are not going to change until the individuals who are being served the best in those systems stop agreeing with the way things are. Right. Like it the white individuals who are are in those places have to be the ones to make change because they hold the power. And you know, this means that we finally are starting to listen and hear that things need to change. Hmm. And you know, it's about damn time that, that we, that, that more white people understand and feel uncomfortable and feel like we've got to do something bigger. So, you know, it is, it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful thing to be out there and it's painful and it's not going to be something that happens quickly, but we can't stop the momentum either.
0: Yeah. Maybe this is a good time to dive into some of the other terms that are being used. And, and so I think you just used one. And I, mm-hmm. you know, I hear about systemic racism, institutional racism. Right. It, what's the difference between the two? And maybe that's a good okay. place we can start. Right.
1: Systemic racism is, you know, what this country was built on. If, um, if anybody has had the opportunity to watch the new systemic racism explained by ACT.TV, mm-hmm. there's a, a person by the name of Alex, and I think it's a cute, Zakiya? It's C E Q U E A, and he produced. They produced. I don't. I I don't know. uh, Know them. Um, Alex produced a a video, and it's like a cartoon, but it explains systemic racism and it talks about the redlining and the creation of our cities and our neighborhoods and how at the at the base level of neighborhoods, there was a determination made on the, the value of property in the white neighborhoods and the neighborhoods of, of people of color. And that allowed for homes to be mortgaged. It allowed for opportunities for education to happen, more money going into the schools and the wealthier neighborhoods that were predominantly white. Um, systemic racism is the race and racism that exists to keep white people in positions of power and with more money. It is the system that has been built to reinforce those ideas so many people don't realize that our neighborhoods the actual organization of our neighborhoods were made in such a way to reinforce segregation and reinforce dominant race producing and doing better it is in the fabric of our foundation and and those are things that aren't just going to go away right we we have conversations about there's even a new app out that i saw the other day that it talks about what are the shady neighborhoods to stay away from if you're moving to a new community. Well, if you go and look at the demographics of the neighborhoods that they're calling shady, it's where the people of color live that are predominantly people of color and it's it's such an it is, that that's racist. And by no means do I believe that the individuals who produced that app thought that's what they were producing. But if you if you kind of bear it down and start to look, that's systemic racism that we're trying to just help people understand what communities they're going to be moving into and what opportunities and activities are available. If you break it down to the, to the nitty gritty, you're starting to define and to see that systemic racism, that, that those neighborhoods were created in those, those systems of schools. And, you know, it's, it's kind of like we talk about gerrymandering or gerrymandering of uh, elections, right? That we, that, There is movement of where the the lines are for districts in the voting process to help determine the number of voters on either side. Those are systemic. Those are things that are put into place to reinforce the power and privilege of white folks. Mm -hmm. Um, And institutional racism is, is, is kind of an appendage of the same thing. The way that things have been created and produced, the systems of higher education is rooted in that, right? Who got to go to school? who had the opportunity to be educated, what types of education those individuals were allowed to receive. And, you know, there's sexism, there's racism, there's classism, all of these things exist and are reinforced by the way that an institution and lots of institutions, um, you can talk about healthcare, you could talk about higher education, you could talk about education. I mean, even what schools in your city get more funding mm-hmm. and, and are better schools to go to. Teachers are paid a little bit better. You know, they have more opportunities of, of learning and different types of learning. Those things exist and have been created by us um, and, and continue to be reinforced and changed. So those are pretty rustic and hard definitions, <laughs> not great definitions of what they are, but kind of an idea of, of um, what those things are. And I really do say, go see this this cartoon of systemic racism. It, it is a, a quick and easy way to understand more about what it is. And again, this is where white privilege has been unseen for so long. Who knew that our neighborhoods were built that way or that our institutions and systems were built that way? I think a lot of people talk about access to higher education as one, you know, and that's one that people who maybe have not had the education in their family or don't have the, the money that has ever been put towards education have a harder time getting into an institution of higher education. That's just the reality. And all of that is a system that's been built to reinforce and keep that white, white person in power and privilege. And that doesn't mean that all white people believe that. It doesn't mean that because I worked at an institution of higher education, I believed in the system that had been created. Mm -hmm. You know, I did, it's just the way it is. And what are we doing to change it?
0: Where does our government fit into this? Oh
1: goodness.
0: That's Talk a politics. We don't we don't have no. to get no, 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 no. deep into no, politics. You're good. I just no, want to no. know like how right. does our government fit into this? I think first and foremost we need to have governments that acknowledge that
1: it's, this, this exists and this is the reality. I think that putting out statements of we, you know, we support black lives matter and we're here for the people and the education of all people and those statements are great but if your actual actions and commitments aren't showing and reinforcing that, then they're just empty. I saw somebody post the other day about, you know, it's great to see all these uh, Fortune 500 companies and big businesses supporting Black Lives Matter, but show me your board of directors. Show me who is leading your community in your business. Mm -hmm. Because if it is all white men, you aren't really doing anything different that doesn't mean that you promote anyone who isn't a white man by no means. It just means that you're promoting and advancing individuals who aren't white men into positions that matter mm-hmm. and that make a difference. And we're so slow at that. So slow. And yeah. so I think our governments just need to, to take the actions and be more open to what is happening. Sharing yeah. that there are conversations of, you know, leadership in cities who are asking people of color whether or not an organization for those people of color is really necessary, you know, is completely missing the point of of why it's important. I think actions and attention and, and don't look for the reward. Like I think that the the biggest thing I realized, again, if I go back to the the shame I felt with not texting this dear friend, and I had a conversation with somebody about, gosh, I, I haven't heard anything back. And they looked at me and they said, so you haven't heard anything back. Is that about what your intention was or is that about you? What was your intention in reaching out to this person? I said, well, it was to let them know I love them and that I'm here for them. Okay, you need Mm
0: -hmm. to know
1: that they heard that message. That's not about them. Mm -hmm. If this is truly about them, let it be about them. I don't need Mm acknowledgement for this to be done. And I think that that's another place our government needs to step up and. Nobody needs to acknowledge the work that is being done, but the work still needs to get done and not look for and praise ourselves when we do the work.
0: Yeah. Who's in our government, who's in leadership either perpetuates the problem mm-hmm. or helps the problem. Yes. And I won't get into that any further. Nope. <laughs> I'm with you on that one. Yes. It reminds me, and I don't know if this is a good analogy and if it's not, we'll just move on. (laughs) But um, when you were saying like people in the government asking if, if like minority uh, programs are even necessary. Right. It reminds me because I have heard a lot of white people say that, well, why do you get to have a club and we don't get to have a club? Like Yep. So ignorantly but it's very it's something that's widespread why do you get to do this but we don't get to do it. It reminds me and this might be too simple of a diff, <laughs> but it reminds me of when I was little and I would ask my my dad why do you, why do you fathers get to have a fathers day and mothers get to have a mothers day why is there no kids day? And my right. dad used to always say every day is kids day because mm-hmm. every single day the focus is on you every single day you have the privilege of being a child and being taken care of and being you know you are the focus every day mm-hmm. and yep. it it reminds me of that like yeah.
1: <laughs> and it goes back to that plate analogy right mhm they need a group because they don't always get the plate
0: right yes and it,
1: it, they deserve the plate and so yeah. Give them the damn plate. Right. Right. And, yes. and, and that's why it's important that these groups exist and that there are spaces for for individuals with commonalities and, and the same identities to come together. Yeah. And 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 learn and be and 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 move forward. Just like it's really important for white people to come together and learn about all of these things, right. so that they can move forward and do better.
0: Yeah. It's it, for white people to understand every single day, things are focused and molded yes. around us. This world is made for me, right?
1: You know, I can, I can walk out my front door and be surrounded by people who look like me. I can go to the grocery store and see advertising and marketing that, that is speaking to me. That is the foods that I know are going to be what I want to eat and come from the places that I am used to to, to having things come from, like the entire world is created for my
0: comfort and, and convenience. Yeah. It's a and, big realization. And so It is. All right. So let's move into, I'd like to talk about unconscious bias. Ooh, um, yes. Yeah. Yes. So take it I love away. This. You see? Okay. I love this.
1: <laughs> so we we had an entire campus-wide training and, and we used implicit bias, unconscious bias. It's all this scene, but this is the reality. Again, this is, this, this is going to produce shame and guilt right off the bat, which forms defensiveness and we need to move past. We all have bias, period. and of story. And if we go back to the systemic racism and the, the places that we grew up, our entire formative education and knowledge has been created, and we have been, infu- and it has been infused with the bias of wherever we've come from—good, bad, whatever it is—it is infused into everything that we've learned. And to say that I'm not a biased person would completely um, negate all of the information I've ever learned. Implicit bias, unconscious bias, is the the initial reaction we have to things that is formed by all of the other experiences and life learning that we've had in our past. And some of them are horrible and some of them are not, and and you can't stop them. And research tells us they're almost impossible to change, which is interesting. There have been a lot of studies and there's a lot of research still being done on can can we stop the implicit bias that we have? Can we change our perspective? And in some regards, yes, but in a lot of regards, absolutely not because it's who we are as a human. I've always said that I come into every experience with every other experience and interaction I've ever had. And I'm going to respond based on all of my past experiences and knowledge. Well, that's what bias is. It is videos we've watched, people we've talked to, personal experiences. And what it means is that we have an initial reaction to people, to places, to events that we can't control. And some of them are not good. There's a lot of videos, and there's a really great controversial uh, test to talk about bias on Harvard's website. And it basically comes out and tells everybody that in some way, shape, or form, you're racist. Because it talks about you look at a screenshot of eyes, and then you look at, at a screenshot of people's faces, and it, it you have to push good or bad based on what you see. And it's really interesting to see the outcomes of that. And most people do come out that they're biased towards or against gender, a race, a whatever. But again, it's important to know that it's what you do with the information of that bias that matters. I worked in a place where I was investigating discrimination and to say that I didn't have any bias ever in the process would be a lie. I was aware of what my biases were. Mm-hmm. I was, I, 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 I would make sure that I was talking to people who had different biases than I did, or who, you know, came from different experiences in order to ensure that I was checking what could be perceived as bias. That's hard work. And, and it, again, it's that white privilege and I can ignore it or I can do something about it and acknowledge we all have it. Mm-hmm. We all, we all do it. And it's not a bad, that in, its, in and of itself is, is not a bad quality or a bad thing. It's mm-hmm. just the reality of what we have. And we do, we have opinions about people and about things. And they, they happen without any conscious thought. Those, I think it's important, again, like white privilege, you need to know that it exists. You need to admit that it exists and acknowledge when, you, when it comes up. Because it's not most people, I don't know a lot of people who are intentionally biased. Right. They don't intend intend to hurt people or think badly about people. Yeah but it happens.
0: It's it's it reminds me of you know the word judgment like I think judgment and biased seem maybe like they're similar to each other. And a lot of people it, well, and I personally for a long time really wanted to be non-judgmental because mm-hmm. I grew up in a very judgmental environment. And so it was really important to me. And I I like clung to this idea for a long time that I am never going to judge. I'm in a not mm-hmm. judgmental. And someone said to me once, that's impossible. <laughs> Right. (laughs) We all judge. Like, it's absolutely impossible to not have judgment, to not have bias. Mm -hmm. We, We are constantly judging each other. We have these ingrained biases about what we think about other people. And the most important thing is to embrace that and to understand that and to know I am judgmental in this area or I have a bias in this area. And so we can then have that awareness. And I talk a lot in, in therapy about our first thought and our second thought, right? And our first thought is our natural response to something, whatever that is, whether it's, I'm going to beat myself up for this, or I'm going to, whatever that first natural response is. And then people get caught in that response. They get caught in the shame in this situation of that response. Mm -hmm. But understanding that we have the ability to have a second thought, we have the ability to say, Okay, I realize this is, yeah, come up. (laughs) Now I'm going to go to my second thought. I'm going to change that. I'm going to deal with it differently. And I don't have to stay caught in the first thought. Right. And we are biologically created to have these. I mean, we
1: compartmentalize and create boxes for everything to be categorized in our lives. That's how we organize things of the outside world. Animal, animal, human, you know, all of these things are categorized in our initial reaction to learn and understand things. Is by categorizing them. So the fact that there are bias is is absolutely natural. It's supposed to happen. But mm-hmm. thank God we have that second thought and have the opportunity to have that second thought because yeah. that's where it really matters. And you see things that you know it's it's it goes back to the fear of I'm gonna say something or do something that's going to be offensive. Yep, you probably are, but if your thought is now I'm aware of it and I can do better. And that's a bias that I have. And I can have that second thought and do better the next time. That's the best that you can do in the situation. And that's the learning. And that's the, you know, as I call it, I step in it every, every time I, not every time I step in it a lot. I still screw up a lot. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where I, um, somebody asked me the other day. So are you an expert in white privilege? And I'm like, nay. whoa, am I an expert in white privilege? I have a much better understanding and education in white privilege than most people. And I am still not aware of so much more I need to understand and know to be better. And so um, I feel like expert becomes this destination that people have achieved of knowledge. And there's so much more for me to know that, no, I know a lot more than most people. Am I an expert? I'm working on it. And I will continue to work on it, and hope to God I never reach it, as it means I think I'm done learning.
0: I've got lots to learn. We've all got lots. We to all learn. have so much. Yes, much. I love. I think that. that's
1: the the most thing I learned. the The best thing I learned in education was how little I knew.
0: Yeah. And how much <laughs> more I need to learn. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I think that was a a turning point for me in just my overall. I guess I would say like awakening of life. I went through this. This period where I had to embrace the fact that I don't know, like, I'm, I'm that I'll never know that mm-hmm. there are a lot of things I will never have the answers to, and that I that that's okay, it's okay. We just have to continue to pursue those answers.
1: Yes, 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 yeah, keep getting so, better,
0: yes. We have to know better so we can do better. So what would you give people? What advice would you give people? I know that this is, I'm hearing a lot of people say, and I'm feeling it myself, like, what can I do? A lot of times we want something tangible. We want something that we can do right now to try and help or to try and be involved or to try and make this change. And so what would you say to people who are in that place where they're wondering, what do I do next? What can I do? What, what should I do? Don't stop
1: looking and learning. And when you, when you start to learn and look, Look for a community of people to walk through this with you. Don't do it alone um, and and bring other people along with you. I think that that's how you build your knowledge and you need a community. My my research for my dissertation was specifically about women with multiple priorities and what they needed to be successful. And it was community of other people who were like them in some way, shape or form. It was putting their nose to the ground and doing it anyway even when it got hard and didn't feel good. And it was making sure you had supportive people helping when you needed it and asking for it when you needed it. And I think that this is like, that is just key in so many things. Mm-hmm. And and this is the time where when it hurts and it's hard, do it anyway. Mm-hmm. When it interrupts your daily in, um, interactions and in your daily or, or your wanted fun, do it anyway. Make a commitment and, and stick to it and get through the hard stuff, but be willing and acknowledge that it's going to be hard and painful because it is, it's not, it's not going to be a cakewalk. It's going to be hard and it's going to be painful and we need to push forward. And so find a community of people who can help you get there. And when you can't find that community, ask, reach out and do your work to find a community or create the community. If you can't find one, create it. Those that that would be and and I know that these things don't make you a bad person. The existence of these things don't make you a bad person. Um, binary that is discussed in the white fragility book and, and through lectures of Robin D'Angelo, who wrote that book. She talks about this binary and, and so we put this classification of anything that has to do with racism is bad. And there's only good or there's bad. There's it's all black and white and it's only good or bad, period. Mm-hmm. And privilege white privilege doesn't make you bad it doesn't make you racist right that's that's not what it is and and you don't have to feel guilty about it but you do have to as soon as you've even if you've just listened to this podcast and this is the first introduction that you've had to white privilege you now know better welcome you're part of the fight like you can't turn around without making a conscious decision to to continue you have white privilege what are you going to do with it? And how are you going to use it? And it doesn't mean that sometimes you just need to shut down and -hmm. shut out things, but it does mean you got to get back out there and keep going and keep learning and keep listening.
0: And, and I think it's important to say too, that not everybody listening to this maybe is white and that a lot of people listening, maybe have privilege in other areas. Maybe they're, they're not black. I, that's, and and maybe you can True. speak to this. What is so I I know there's a lot of other minority groups right now. Yeah. Too, who mm-hmm. how does all of this apply to
1: them? Right. And I think that I can speak to it as the the white woman and the educator of of privilege. We all do have privilege. We have a privilege in in so many of our identities somewhere somehow. No one is void of privilege someplace. And right now we're talking about black lives matter. And if, if you identify anything other than black, where can you use your knowledge, education, and abilities and privilege to advance the movement of black people? And I don't know what that looks like for, for some people of color, but this is not a job that is solely for white people. It, that is a dominant group that needs to, to do a lot of the work because they have been responsible as a collective race for a lot of the harm. But use, use the privilege that you do have and the opportunity that you do have to move forward the movement of Black Lives Matter. Take an assessment of how that happens. And that is a great place to join in community with other people of color, with, with your um, friends and, and, and colleagues and acquaintances that you know that are white, that are black. Uh, have the conversations and be mindful of what those conversations are and how they're happening. But you know, we all have a responsibility as members of a community to, to do better. And what that looks like for people of color has got to be resonating in their own hearts in their own community as well. So yeah. it's got to be a bigger conversation too. That is inclusive. I think that's a good way to to help move forward.
0: Well, this has been amazing, Becky. So thank much you. Helpful information. I can't wait for your group to start. <laughs> Yes. I just want to keep talking and talking about this. Do you feel like just wrapping up? Is there anything that you feel like is important to say? Is there, what do you want to leave people with walking away from this? I think there are two things. I think
1: that it is important that for those of us with any kind of privilege um, looking in on Black Lives Matter, we need to shut up. We need to stop talking and listen. And that doesn't mean to remain silent, but I think that we need to really allow the comments and the stories and the reality of Black people's lives to be heard and resonate inside of us in a way we've never allowed them before and truly sit in it for a little while and then start to educate ourselves more on what we can do in the situation. And that is exploring our white privilege and other other areas of privilege, you know, classism is not something we talk about a lot, right? The the privilege of class, and that is so influential in our daily lives. And, And so it's understanding and being willing to learn about these things, open up enough to allow things that are uncomfortable and that you disagree with to be heard and don't respond, listen, and then do your own work. the The courses that I'll be offering are titled "Doing the Work." Love it. And there and there'll be a series of them. And and, and but it is it's doing the work, mm-hmm. and committing that you're going to do the work. And remember that these things don't make you a bad person. Yeah, it's letting what you do with these things,
0: right? And letting our yeah, letting ourselves be affected. Like so yes. many people are saying right now, I feel so terrible. I feel so heavy. I feel so sad. And. Mm-hmm. Uh, in a way, I'm like good.
1: Thank goodness. <laughs> good.
0: I'm that glad. means that something that that's going to
1: promote the change that we need. Yeah, we need to be uncomfortable until we feel it. Yes. We don't usually do because we have because the privilege has always allowed us to, if we feel it, turn away. And now that feeling is getting just too heavy to turn away.
0: Thank goodness. So, yeah. Yes. Thank God. Thank, thank God. goodness. Lean in, lean in, yes. into the discomfort, lean in and mm-hmm. allow rather than trying to, yeah, I mean, we're not good about that in general as humans. We want to feel no. comfortable. We want to feel happy and good. And if we feel yep. anything else, there's something wrong, right? But that's not mm-hmm. true. So leaning into the heart and the discomfort is so huge. Right. And doing it anyway. Yes, I love it. Thank you so yes. much. For oh, being absolutely. There. Thank you for the opportunity. Yeah, I will have all of your information in the show notes so people can connect with you, find out Wonderful. more about your course, and up their learning in a whole new way. So, absolutely. It, it, it will be
1: a, a learning adventure for everyone, including myself. I cannot wait to continue these conversations and continue to learn and yeah. hear so wonderful! well thank you so much yes thank you
0: all right my friends what an awesome interview we absolutely believe in the power of our stories and we are so very grateful to our guests who have the courage to speak their truth and share their heart experiences and light with all of us If you want more of the Wee Podcast, make sure you head over to thewespot.com where you can find all of our episodes as well as the Wee Spot blog. The Wee Spot is your go-to spot for growth, connection, authenticity, and encouragement. You can also find us on social media. Head over to the we Spot Facebook and Instagram pages and get plugged in. You can also find me, Sarah Moneris, on my personal Facebook and Instagram pages as well. If you love the We Podcast, we would be thrilled for you to rate the podcast and write us a review. We want as many people as possible to be lifted up in growth and get connected with our community. Also, don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss out on new episodes dropping every single week. We can't wait to see you over on social media. Thank you for being here today. It means a lot to us. Remember, your story makes you who you are. Speak your truth, grow constantly, rise above, and always know you are not on this journey alone. See you next time.